Hey Food Film Zanzi family, welcome to episode 4 of Tandy and Captain Stay Safe, our very special podcast series to help ease anxiety during the COVID-19 pandemic. My name is Dawn Numdu and if this is the first time you're tuning in, I am the editor of Food Film Zanzi. And I'm Duncan Masiwa, a journalist at Food Film Zanzi. We hope that you're keeping well during South Africa's unprecedented coronavirus lockdown. Dawn, I don't know if you're still counting the days. It's literally been more than three months since we have seen each other as a team. That's right, Duncan. It's a long time to work from home. But we do understand why we're actually in a privileged position, being able to do what we love from our respective homes. That is exactly why we are eternally grateful for all our frontline workers who do not have that luxury. They do what they have to do to keep our country going. That includes, of course, health professionals, as well as our farmers, agricultural workers, and many, many more. So listen, in case you've missed the previous episode of Tandy and Captain Stay Safe, it's still available on your preferred podcasting platform. But here's a little preview of what went down. Sinesipa Tom spoke to pediatric psychologist Dr. Dane Shannon about helping children organize their thoughts and feelings during this time. This is what he had to say. First, we need to consider a few variables such as the age of the child, uh, cognitive development, that is how the child can make sense of what they hear, any pre-existing anxiety conditions. Uh, children who already suffer from latent anxiety are more likely to become dysregulated, for instance, um, with additional stresses. And of course, children who have previous experiences of trauma, which may trigger their anxiety. It's important to understand that children have inherent suggestibility and vulnerability to media stories, and they have less experience and, and capacity to unpack the information that's continuously cycling through their mobile devices and TV screens. Even adults are struggling with this. It can be overwhelming. It's really up to the parent's discretion, but I'd recommend keeping the details to what they need to know. Someone with a phobia, for instance, knows all there is to know about the thing that they fear most. So information isn't always what's most helpful. I would encourage parents to tell their children not to go scrolling through social media and the news about COVID-19 because there really is a lot of hysteria out there, a lot of propaganda and agenda. So really just stick to the basics, you know, encourage masks, washing of hands, social distancing. These are the three keys. So if parents can model this behavior in a calm and composed way, then I think that'll really be what's most important. Duncan, I found the interview with Dr. Cannon quite enlightening, and I will certainly give it another listen myself. Stay tuned to Tandy and Captain Stay Safe. Directly after this, we're chatting to Kanisani Falake, a maths teacher in the Western Cape. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story. Many parents are sending their kids back to school. Can I, realistically speaking, expect the school to keep my child safe from COVID-19? Not really, because whether the child gets COVID from school or church or restaurants or because someone went to a shop and and somehow got the transmission there, 
the child is going to get COVID because at the end of the day, 60% of the population is expected to be affected by this virus. What we can do, what the school can do, what parents can do, what learners can do, is be proactive in protecting themselves. That's the best that we can do in all scenarios. Parents need to make sure that they are instilling, you know, the new normative values. They need to make sure the kids, learners, are aware of how important it is to always have their mask on. They need to preach social distancing. The school will also obviously do the exact same thing. Schools should be proactive in terms of there should not be a shortage of sanitizers. There should be water available, water and sanitation facilities available so that learners are always washing their hands. Perhaps there should even be breaks in between lessons so that learners are allowed to go to the bathroom and wash their hands. So it has to be a collaborative effort from the school, the teachers, and the learners as well as their parents. Each person needs to understand that they are responsible for their health and responsible for themselves. And each party can only do their best. And if every person puts in their 100%, then surely the school can try to keep the child as safe as safe could be. Schools have overcrowded classrooms. How does social distancing work in a classroom setup? I can't speak for other schools, so I'll just speak for where I currently am at the moment. So in terms of social distancing, yes, classrooms are overcrowded. So what has been done so far is phasing in of different grades. So because we only started with the phasing in of grade 12s, which means we've only been teaching grade 12 learners, we were able to split them across more than just one classroom. So for instance, if a certain class had 35 learners in them and the class was not was not big enough to maintain social distancing standards, it would require or it would mean that that class of 35 would have to be split either three ways or two ways. So that's what's currently happening. So each classroom has been given a mandate to basically arrange desks in such a manner that there is more or less a meter distance between the people on the sides of each learner and back to front as well. So this is what schools have done to try and maintain social distancing. During break times, teachers are outside on break duty to make sure that learners are not getting too close to each other. They are still maintaining the social distancing requirements, but obviously none of this is foolproof because kids will be kids, learners will be learners. You find many times while they're having lunch, their masks are off. And of course, how is someone supposed to eat with a mask on? (laughs) So the masks are off. And while the masks are off, they're eating, they're conversing. What do you do in that case? And as much as we can try as teachers to pull kids away from each other and say there must be a meter distance apart from each other during break times, we can't always be there. In the classroom, as much as the desks are apart from each other, you still can't stop a child from turning and moving closer to their friends. So that's why I'm saying it's important for parents, the school and the learners to play a role. So they need to understand that it's important to follow these protocols. It's important to face forward at all times. It's important to maintain the social distance, keep your mask on when you talk to your friends. And this goes for both learners and teachers. Don't be too close to each other. Maintain that distance. 
Many rural schools do not have proper water and sanitation. What measurements did schools and government since put in place? For the schools that do not have water and sanitation resources, Minister Lindewe Sisulu has undertaken it or has promised, inverted quotes, has promised to deliver water tanks to these schools. Whether or not these promises were followed through, whether or not these tanks were delivered, that's something else to be discussed. And we can only really know or hear from the schools themselves. But as far as I know, the plan was for all of these schools that still don't have water, that the minister was planning to deliver these water tanks to each school and then take it from there. Whether the tanks have been delivered or whether they got lost somewhere on the way to the school, whether they are working, that is another discussion for another day. From the last time that the minister had session, it was mentioned that it was difficult to get into some rural areas. Apparently, it was difficult to get the trucks or whichever vehicles they use because of the roadworks. <laughs> and um, that is still something that is being looked at. I'm not sure if those schools have finally received the, the water tanks yet. Um, but to be honest, I don't really think there's a clear plan. This is something that should not have been tackled in two months. This is something that should have been fixed over the past 23 years. And to think that within two months, somehow the water and sanitation department is going to all of a sudden be able to deliver all of these services to all of these places is a bit unrealistic. And that's the truth. But teachers have to to do the most with what they have. Two days ago, there were reports of a whole 168 learners in one school that were affected by the virus that tested positive. And of course, this is not a surprise if you think about the fact that there's still some schools who don't have water and sanitation resources, and these tanks have still not been delivered. Some tanks disappeared on the way to being delivered, but that's a conversation for another day. I would also like to point out that all of these things that are put in place, all of these measurements, they are not actually put in place by the government per se. So what has happened is after the DBE and the Minister of Water and Sanitation had painted these wonderful pictures for the public on national TV, they then put the entire mandate on the school itself to provide the means and strategies to combat this. So schools are now having to deal with this without any actual support from government structures. And schools have been asked to find ways to kind of go on and sort this out on their own based on their environment and their situation. So there's no one-fits-all scenario. There's no one-fits-all solution. And it's not a shock, really. Teachers are really trying their best to make this work. Principals are working overtime, trying their best to save people's lives basically the support from the government very minimal what we do know is what they tell us and the wonderful pictures that they paint but after 25 years more than 25 years of democracy in south africa i think we're all well aware 
of what it means when a government makes a lot of promises. And we are all well aware of the inverse proportion of promises as to delivery of those services. My child is already behind on schoolwork because of the lockdown. If she's ill, should I still be sending her to school? In terms of being behind in the schoolwork and catching up on the curriculum, this is where we start seeing disparities in class and um, we start seeing vast differences between the haves and the have-nots. So the schools that are able to have online learning, the schools where learners afford Wi-Fi and have data, those schools have been able to almost create a hybrid system where they have face-to-face lessons with the grade 12s or with whichever learners have been phased in. And they also have online lessons for learners who are unable to come to the school itself. These lessons have been taking place from lockdown. So some schools have not stopped teaching, okay? For instance, the school that I'm with right now, we have not stopped teaching. We still had online lessons during lockdown. And because most of the learners have access to data and have access to Wi-Fi, there was no real issue as to people would be left behind. I mean, theoretically, that is expecting that the learners are doing everything as per normal. That's without considering the fact that we are in a global pandemic and it has affected every individual in a different manner, um, emotionally, psychologically, mentally. So even though the work has been put out there, even though the schools have been doing online learning, it's a very new program. Learners are not used to this type of teaching. It's actually called self-regulated teaching. It's not something that learners have gotten used to yet, maybe with time, but that means that even though the teaching is happening online, we can't necessarily say that learning has been taking place because it's a different system and we can't really measure the output of the online learning system as of yet. And to combat that, what the government has said is that when we do tests, when we do assessments, the learners must come onto campus, so they have no choice. They must come onto the campus to write the assessments. Also, we can only assess on content that has been covered in the classroom. So if your child is behind because there was no online teaching or because the schools were getting closed and open and closed again, they cannot be tested on content that they were not taught. So if that means that the curriculum has to be trimmed, then so be it. They can only be tested on what was done in the classroom. This is something where I think that the government should also be understanding and supportive towards schools because the current ATPs don't really take into account the fact that people are behind, learners are behind because some schools had to close and open a bit later than others. So to then expect learners to complete a certain percentage of work before a certain time is a bit unfair. So it would again put the onus on the individual schools to figure out 
what it is that they're going to test on. But whatever it is that they do in terms of assessment, it has to be work that was taught in class. So if there was no class for three months, the parents should not be worried about whether or not the kids were left behind. The school and the government should make plans for that and they should accommodate the learners. And this should not affect um, the quality of education that the learner is getting. I think we need to move away from time constraints. I think the government also needs to look at rearranging the calendar for 2021 so that in the beginning of the year, there's we, we kind of go back, we kind of consolidate some of the topics or items that we couldn't really go into detail with this year or some of the missed work. So I think we need at least about three months or two months next year where we catch up, you know, where each school is allowed to catch up on the work that they couldn't really complete this year. We need to move away from, you know, the, the old systems, the old ways of thinking about time. Um, it's not going to be easy, but we need to move away from that because when we put time limits to certain things, that's when we widen the gap between the haves and the have-nots because the time has not been the same. While some schools in Cape Town have been open since February and have their own schedule and they're way ahead of schedule, in fact, we know that there are schools that still haven't opened. We know that there are schools that don't even know when they might open because, again, there's no water and sanitation resources. They haven't been provided with PPEs. So that needs to be a collaborative effort between the government, again, and the schools themselves because no learner should be left behind. What steps can I take at home to keep my family safe? If a child is sick, they definitely should not be coming to school. If they have comorbidities, they definitely should not be coming to schools. Again, it becomes a situation of schools that have the resources versus those that really don't have the resources. So currently in schools um, that are well resourced, they have the hybrid system that I spoke of. So if a learner is ill, they are encouraged to stay at home and use the online facilities and online resources to facilitate their learning. They also then are able to keep in touch with their teachers via social media apps such as WhatsApp. Um, they can email their teachers. So there's a constant online engagement that's taking place. So even though the learner is not in the classroom, the teachers try to fill that gap by not only providing the face-to-face -face lessons, but they also provide online engagement lessons for those learners that are ill and are unable to come to school. That is the well-resourced school. Then we go to the complete contrast, which is a reality for many schools in South Africa. There's no Wi-Fi, there's no internet. There are places in the Eastern Cape where there is no network in 2020, believe it or not. So obviously there's going to be no um, alternative measure in that scenario. We, the, the, the schools can't really have a hybrid system where they do online lessons and face-to-face -face lessons. In cases like that, we have been encouraged to then prepare um, hard copy packs. They're calling these work packs. So the teachers are now expected to then take all of the work that they're going to teach in class and create a hard copy pack photocopied for each and every learner. 
so that whatever is covered in class, the learner can also cover or go through it in this pack. Um, is it the best solution? I don't think so. Is it going to work? I don't think so, because at the end of the day, giving learners this hard copy pack or this work pack, it's exactly the same as learners having a textbook. And even if you talk about textbook, we know what the situation is there. There's still schools where kids don't have textbooks, where kids are expected to share textbooks. Now we expect these same schools to somehow be able to make photocopies for each and every learner to cover each and every topic. Um, it's unrealistic again, and I don't really think that it has been well thought through. So to be honest, everything that we're doing, everything that is being done, there's no real strategy to it um, that might not make parents feel comfortable, but that is the reality. So as a parent, you, the decision needs to be made whether you're sending your child to school or you're letting them stay at home. If they stay at home, what impact does that have on their mental development and psychological development? If they come to school, are they responsible enough to follow the social distancing rules and to keep safe? Is the school well resourced enough to provide sanitizers, to have water, all of these things? So those are things that each parent will have to consider. It's not an easy decision. Um, there's nothing that's cast in stone. No institution can say confidently right now that they have this thing planned up to the T. Every person is trying their own way of dealing with this and hoping for the best. So much food for thought. Thank you so much, Kanisane Falake, a mathematics educator at Norman Henshelwood High School in Constantia in the Western Cape. Remember to stay tuned to Food from Zanzi's website for more info on keeping safe, healthy and sane during this time. We're back tomorrow with another exciting interview and then we'll focus on healthy eating tips to face the COVID-19 crisis. From me, Duncan Masiwa, Don Numdu and the rest of Team Food from Zanzi, goodbye.